Well, good morning. We're going to continue in Nehemiah chapter 4 this morning. We're going to finish the chapter. 2010 was a busy year for me. In 2010, I was getting out of the military and I was checking out on what you call terminal leave. So the military, they don't call it vacation time, they call it leave. They let you leave for a little bit and then you got to come back. And so uh, when you are getting out, if you've got a bunch of leave saved up, you can do what's called terminal leave. And so you go and you check out on leave and you never got to go back. It's beautiful, beautiful. So I was checking out on terminal leave. I think I had about two months worth of leave saved up. So I knew I had two months worth of paychecks coming in. And I knew that God had called me to ministry, and so my next step was to move up here to Louisville, Kentucky, and to get started over at Boyce College, because I had no undergraduate degree, and I wanted to start studying for ministry, and so that, that's where I was, I was headed. But before that, before I was heading up here to start college in August of 2010, I had something else that I needed to do. I was dating this beautiful young lady, right here in the fourth row, and she's already blushing. And she had not met my family yet. My family is in Pennsylvania. That's where I grew up. That's where I still call home. And I was living in Gulfport, Mississippi, and I had met her, and we we had known each other for a little while before we started dating, and then we were dating. And so it was important that she meet my family because I really was hoping that my family would love her, and likewise, she would like my family. And so I had saved up money, and I had bought us two tickets to fly from Gulfport, Mississippi, up to Pennsylvania. So the morning of our trip comes, and her mom graciously offered to take us to the airport. Now, there's a small airport in Gulfport, but over in New Orleans, which is about a one-hour drive, it's a much bigger airport, so you get a lot cheaper airfare. So we're flying out of New Orleans, it's about an hour drive, and it was a fairly early flight. And so we get up early, her mom has taken us, and the whole time, right, there's one interstate, you get on I-10 and go to, go to New Orleans, and the whole time I'm sitting in the back seat thinking, she's going kind of slow. Like, I, I think she should hurry up. I don't want to miss this flight, right? This is kind of a big deal. And so sure enough, we get to the airport, and we've got maybe like 45 minutes before our flight leaves. And so I knew that this is going to be tight. And we get inside, we check our bags, we get inside, And I saw the security line. And I'm telling you, it was wrapped around this church like 10 times. It was bad. And so I'm I'm panicking, I'm freaking out. And so we get in the back of the line and we wait and we wait. And I'm just like watching the clock the whole time. We finally get through security. We get to our gate. It's literally minutes before the plane leaves. And they say, sorry, you missed the flight. The doors are closed. You ain't getting on. That was disappointing. And Sam's mom had already left to go back to Gulfport, and we didn't have a ride back to Gulfport. And so thankfully, I was able to call a guy at the church that we were going to, and he made the trip from Gulfport an hour to New Orleans, picked us up, and brought us back. But what happened in that moment is I'm thinking, I'm about to get out of the military. I don't have a steady job yet. I know I've got some income for the next two months because I'm on terminal leave uh, but I don't think I can buy us more flights to head up to visit my family. And so we had a decision to make. We had to alter our plans. And so we got in my car and we drove the almost 1,300 miles from Gulfport, Mississippi to my family in Pennsylvania. 
Sometimes plans change like that. And, you know, I love to fly, so I was really disappointed that I didn't get to fly. But also, I was young and in love, still am. And so I was excited to get to spend like 30 hours in the car, however long it was, uh, in the car with Samantha. And that's time that I will never forget. I love that. But we did make it to Pennsylvania. We got to visit with my family. But sometimes things don't necessarily work out the way we had anticipated from the beginning. Because for me, my whole thought was, we're going to fly up there. Everything's going to be smooth. We're going to spend time with my family. We're going to come back, and then we're going to move on. I'm going to move to Louisville, all that. Well, things changed pretty quick when we missed our flight. And sometimes that's how life happens. And sometimes... What we see here in Nehemiah is something similar. So last week, we talked a little bit about how Nehemiah and those who are building the wall at Jerusalem, they found out that they've got some enemies. And their enemies were trying to bring some sort of attack on them to halt the work and to kill the people who are working on the wall. And, well, the attack did not work. Nehemiah got wind of the attack and he put people in specific places around the wall and it thwarted the attack. But even though the attack was not successful, things still had to change. There had to be a little bit of change that happened in the way they went about building the wall. And so I want us to look at Nehemiah chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 15 and we'll read down through the end of the chapter. When our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had frustrated their plan, we all returned to the wall, each to his work. From that day on, half of my servants worked on construction and half held the spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail. And the leaders stood behind the whole house of Judah who were building on the wall. Those who carried burdens were loaded in such a way that each labored on the work with one hand and held his weapon with the other. And each of the builders had his sword strapped on his side while he built. The man who sounded the trumpet was beside me. And I said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, the work is great and widely spread. And we are separated on the wall far from one another. In the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there, our God will fight for us. So we labored at the work. And half of them held the spears from the break of dawn until the stars came out. I also said to the people at that time, let every man and his servant pass the night within Jerusalem, that they may be a guard for us by night and may labor by day. So neither I nor my brothers nor my servants nor the men of the guard who followed me, none of us took off our clothes. Each kept his weapon at his right hand. I have four points for you today. The first being that we need to acknowledge God. If you have a listening page, that's the first blank. It is option B, acknowledge God. The first thing we see in this passage, remember, we're right on the heels of the enemies of God's people trying to bring an attack against Nehemiah and those who are building the wall. And the first thing Nehemiah says in verse 15 is when our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had frustrated their plan. You see, Nehemiah recognizes that it's God who is the one who frustrated the plan 
of their enemies. Now, Nehemiah, he could have easily taken credit for this himself. Paul, in the back at verse 13. So in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall, in the open places, I stationed the people by their clans with their swords, their spears, and their bows. You see, Nehemiah is the one who caught wind of this potential attack, and he took people and armed them and put them in specific places so that if the attack were to come, they would be ready. So Nehemiah could have simply said, well, I'm the one who thwarted the attack of the enemy. I'm the one who figured out this great military plan. I'm the one who made this happen. But Nehemiah doesn't respond that way. Nehemiah could have said, it was just dumb luck that we had people in the right place at the right time and they didn't attack us. But he didn't say that. Perhaps he could have said that he had learned a whole lot of leadership lessons from the king, King Artaxerxes, who was a fairly successful king, and said, man, because I'm such a good listener, because I'm such a good learner, I knew exactly what to do in that moment. Nehemiah could have quickly and easily taken credit for thwarting the the enemy's attack. But he doesn't. He says, God is the one who frustrated their plan. Nehemiah is recognizing, as he has been already up to this point, that God is the one at work in the building of the walls of Jerusalem. God is the one who gave him favor in Artaxerxes' eyes. He let him go to Jerusalem in the first place and sent him with letters saying that he approved, that he was able to go. God is the one who provided workers to do the work, to build up the walls. And God is the one who is now protecting his people in the face of a threat. And Nehemiah makes sure to acknowledge God in all of the things that he is doing. Faithful. Do we acknowledge God in our lives? Are we faithful to acknowledge all the ways in which God is working in our life? I think it's easy for us to acknowledge God when things are bad. If things aren't going well, we oftentimes will say things like, God, why are you allowing this to happen to me? Why are you allowing trouble and hardship into my life? What have I done to deserve this? We maybe don't voice that out loud to other people, but we oftentimes think that to ourselves. I'm guilty of that. Usually it's in trouble that we recognize God and say, why, God, why would you do this? But it's really easy for us to neglect acknowledging God when things are good. Because oftentimes, we tend to take credit for the reason that our lives are good. We are really quick to say things like, well, because I'm good with my money, because I'm responsible, I was able to save up and I've got all this money in the bank. Because I'm such a hard worker, I was able to work myself up the corporate ladder and get to where I am today. If everybody around me would just do the same, they could be where I'm at. We like to think real highly of ourselves. But the reality is we have what we have and we are where we are in life because God has given it to us and because God has put us there. 
And we need to be people who acknowledge God, not just when things are bad and ask him why, but also acknowledging him when things are good and thanking him for the good gifts that he gives all of the time. Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6. Maybe some of you know this by heart. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. Verse 6, in all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your path. Proverbs say, in all of your ways acknowledge him. Not in some of your ways, not in most of your ways, not in the important ways, in all your ways. When we get down when life pounces on us, when life is hard, and we, we ask God, why would he let this happen to us, or why would this be going on? We also better be able to say, hey, when life is good, I know that it's God who gave this to me. I, I try really hard to instill this in our children. And every time that we pray before we eat a meal, we're always thanking God that he provided the food for us. And most people would probably say, well, that, but that's because you have a job and you make money and you can go to the grocery store and get groceries. That's why you have food. But we have to recognize we wouldn't have any of that were it not for God's favor on us. And every time that we go to bed and we pray for our kids, we are always praying and thanking God. When it's hot outside, we thank God for air conditioning. When it's cold outside, we thank God for heat. When it's raining outside, we thank God for a roof over our heads. And every single day, just about, we thank God for a comfortable mattress to sleep on. Because I want my kids to know that God is the giver of all good gifts. I want my kids to acknowledge God in everything. I want to acknowledge God in everything. And Nehemiah shows us that he is doing that as well. The plans of the enemy got overthrown and Nehemiah says, God did that. He could have taken credit for himself, but he says, God did that. After this, after he acknowledges that God is the one who has given success over this attempt, uh, attempted attack of the enemy, he prepares to fight. Look with me at verses 16 through 20. From that day on... Half of my servants worked on construction, and half held the spears, the shields, the bows, and the coats of mail. And the leaders stood behind the whole house of Judah, who were building on the wall. Those who carried burdens were loaded in such a way that each labored on the work with one hand, and each held his weapon with the other. And each of the builders had his sword strapped at his side while he built. The man who sounded the trumpet was beside me. And I said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, the work is great and widely spread. We are separated on the wall far from one another. In the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet rally to us there, our God will fight for us. Nehemiah, knowing that he's got enemies and knowing that his enemies have plans to attack, knowing that God thwarted their previous attempt, Nehemiah's thinking they're probably not going to quit. They're probably not going to give up. They're probably going to come after us again. And they're going to be looking for us to have our guard down. And he's not going to let that happen. Nehemiah prepares he and his people for a fight. Notice in verse 16 what happens to the workforce. From that day on, Half of my servants worked on construction 
and half held the spears, the shields, the bows, and the coats of mail. So instantly, from the time that this attack happens, and Nehemiah says, all right, we got to put another plan into place. we got to change up our plans, because what we had been doing, we can't just keep going that way. we got to kind of shift things up a little bit. All of a sudden, his workforce is now cut in half. And he says, half are going to focus on building the wall, and the other half are going to be devoted to security, to being prepared should another attack come. And so he's got half of the people doing construction and half doing security. But notice also, right after that, and the leaders stood behind the whole house of Judah, right? So they're there, the leaders are there, prepared to give leadership should anything happen. But also those who carried burdens were loaded in such a way that each labored at the work in one hand and held their weapon with the other. So now you've got people who are transporting the, the material needed to build the wall. They're still having to, to do all of that in order to continue on the building project pro- process. And he says they are loading people in such a way that they can work with one hand and have their weapon ready in the other hand. So these people are sacrificing greatly. They're being able to do a lot less work because they can only use one hand and they're holding their swords and whatever other weapons they have in their other hands. Even the people working on the wall, look at 18. And each of the builders had his sword strapped at his side while he built. So even those who their whole focus is specifically working on the wall, they still have their sword right there on their side. They are ready that if something goes down, if something goes sideways, if the enemy comes, they're going to be able to be prepared to fight real quick. But notice one other thing. The end of 18, the man who sounded the trumpet was beside me. So Nehemiah also has a guy with a trumpet. And he says, when this guy blows the trumpet, you know there's an attack coming. And what I want you all to do is to follow the sound of the trumpet. And notice what he says uh, in verse 19. And I said to the nobles and to the officials and the rest of the people, the work is great and widely spread and we are separated on the wall far from one another. In the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there. See, Nehemiah is going to be with the guy who's got the trumpet. And Nehemiah is going to be constantly surveying the wall. And so Nehemiah is going to be aware that if there's an attack coming, we're going to go and get to that place and we're going to blow the trumpet so that everybody can come to that point and be prepared to fight. And Nehemiah is the one leading that charge. Nehemiah is a good leader. Nehemiah is not just having his people fight if he knows that there's danger coming, Nehemiah says, I will be there with you. I'm going to be trumpet guy is where the danger is and you all come to us. Meet us there. We'll get to fight. Notice that there's a big variety of jobs being carried out here by the people. You've got some people that are just straight they're still doing construction. Now they got their sword on their hip. They're ready to fight if they need be, but their, their focus is construction. And then you've got the other people that they, their focus is security or fighting. They got the swords, they got the shields, they got the bows, the spears, all of that. And then you've got some people that are kind of doing some half, half security, half work. Right? They're carrying the load. They're getting the materials needed and they're carrying it to the wall so it can be put in place. They're only working with one hand and they're carrying a weapon with another hand. And then you've got the leaders who are in position ready to give leadership. And then you've got this guy with the trumpet ready to sound the alarm should anything happen. 
this is how it goes with any sort of military strategy. If everybody does the exact same thing, you're very vulnerable. Think about this. If everybody continues just building on the wall and there's nobody dedicated to security, you're really vulnerable to an attack. So if the enemy tries to come at you again, there's a very high likelihood that they're going to have some success. But on the flip side, if you make everybody just security and nobody's working on the wall, well, you're going to feel really safe, but you're not going to get anything done. The people who are building are far more susceptible, are far more in a weaker position than the people who are doing the security. They have to rely on one another. The people building have to trust the people that are put on security. They've got to trust that Nehemiah and the trumpet guy are watching vigilantly to see if any attack is coming because their life depends on them, depends on other people. See, there's sentence on one another. They have to trust one another to be able to know that they are safe from an attack. But notice the end of verse 20. Just as Nehemiah has already acknowledged that God has given them success over the previous attempt by the enemy, he says, in the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there. And what does he say after that? Our God will fight for us. That passage that Pastor Matt read from Exodus is a wonderful, awesome passage. Nehemiah knew this passage. There's no doubt in my mind. Nehemiah had read his, his Torah, the first five books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. He knew about the Exodus story. There's no doubt in my mind that he knew. He knew that God's people had come out of slavery in Egypt and there they are right there next to the Red Sea. And so all they can see on this side is the Red Sea. And then they look back here and all they see is Pharaoh and his army. And when they look this way, all they see is desert. And when they look this way, all they see is desert. And they go back to Moses and say, good move, bro. You just bring us out here in the wilderness to kill us? Are there no graves in Egypt for us that you had to bring us out here? And what does Moses say to them? God will fight for you. You have only to be silent and watch. And what does God do for them? God opens the wall of water on each side and they walk through the the Red Sea on dry ground. Probably not a single one of them would have thought that that's how God was going to deliver them, that that's how God was going to fight for them, but that's how God did it. And Nehemiah knows this story. Nehemiah knows that when you set yourself up as an enemy to God's people, you do not want to be in that position. In Psalm 2, it says that the, the, the kings of the earth set themselves against God and his anointed. And what does God do? He's in the heavens and he laughs. I heard a preacher once say, when God laughs, there ain't nothing funny. You don't want to be the enemy of God who's doing up against God's people. And Nehemiah knows that. Nehemiah knows that what he is doing and what the, the fellow Jews with him are doing is what God is wanting him to do. That building these walls of Jerusalem is what God has asked him to do. And so he knows that if you're an enemy to building these walls, you are an enemy of God. And if you're an enemy of God, he knows God is going to fight for us. God is going to be the one that you're going to have to deal with, not me. Now, Notice also that he does not use that as an excuse to be ill-prepared. 
Nehemiah does not think, yes, God is going to fight for us. And so because he's going to fight for us, we can just all keep a 100% workforce working on the wall. We don't have to worry about security or anything. Nehemiah still splits his workforce in half. And half are devoted to working on the wall, whereas half are devoted to security. Just because Nehemiah knows that God is going to fight for him, he still puts measures in place for them to be able to fight. Because he knows that God fights through his people. God is going to use his people to defeat the enemy. You and I, we also need to know that we live in a time where there are spiritual Battles going on around us. We need to be prepared to fight as well. Peter, in the book of 1 Peter, tells us to be sober-minded, to be watchful, because your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Do you know that? You ever heard that verse before? The devil is our adversary, and he is seeking someone to devour Paul tells Timothy in the book of 2 Timothy, he says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. If you desire to live godly, there's going to be opposition to that. Don't be surprised when the world hates you. Don't be surprised when other people want to do you harm. Paul says we should expect that if we're living or desiring to live a godly life. There's going to be persecution. There's going to be opposition. In Ephesians Paul says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. That's what our whole VBS was about, putting on the armor of God. Paul is warning Christians, be prepared. There is a fight going on. It is not a fight of flesh and blood, like you may think that we may associate with fighting. It is a spiritual battle. And Paul says, you need to be prepared. God fights for his people. If you look at the very end of the great commission that Jesus gives us in Matthew chapter 28. He says, and lo, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus is with us. He promises to never leave us or forsake us. And if we are desiring to live a godly life, if we are living in righteousness, pursuing after God, there's going to be opposition. But we can be confident That God will fight for us. That doesn't mean that we are free of responsibility to be prepared to fight. Nehemiah knows just because knowing God will fight for us doesn't mean we're ill-prepared. We still put all of these pieces in place to be ready when the fight comes. It's also important to notice that Nehemiah does not go looking for the fight. But he's prepared should that fight come to him. Church, we should be the same way. Christians should not be petty. Go looking for fights. But you better believe that fight comes to us. We're ready. We're prepared. And we're confident knowing that God works, fights for us.
So we need to be people who acknowledge God. We need to be people who prepare to fight. Third, we need to be people who get back to work. Nehemiah got back to work after this threat. And that can be hard. Especially after a, 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 a very uh, real threat of danger had just happened. I told you all at the beginning that I got out of the Navy in 2010. Well, in 2007 into 2008, I was deployed to Afghanistan. And 2007, 2008, uh, you know, things were still happening. People were still dying. But it wasn't anywhere near like when uh, troops first went in 2001, 2002. That's when it was really bad. I, I was there much later than that. So when I was there, I was doing construction. That was my job. And even as doing construction, we always carried our weapon on us, even though we were on a base, and there was probably not a, a real high likelihood of an attack. But there was one morning, I will never forget this, that we had got up, we ate breakfast, and we got to work. And as we were working, out of nowhere, we all heard a giant explosion, massive explosion. And a few seconds later, another one. And then a few seconds later, another one. Three explosions back to back to back, all within maybe five to six seconds of each other. And they had trained us that when you go into a war zone, specifically Afghanistan, Iraq, one of the ways that they like to attack, especially American bases, is with mortars. And so they drop a mortar and it shoots and they kind of see where it lands and that tells them how to, you know, let's adjust trajectory and fire another shot. And so what they will often do is they will walk it in and try and attack a base that way. And so when you hear multiple explosions go off one right after the other, right after the other, you start, thinking, they're walking in some bombs on us. They're trying to bomb our base. And so we instantly went into high alert. And so when we had gotten there, we, we drew up a plan on how to protect our spot of the wall Kind of interesting that, you know, we also had a big giant wall guarding our complex. And so we had specific places that we were going to go to protect our part of the base should an attack come. And so that's what happened. We, we clicked into action and we all got to where we were going and we just waited. And if we saw an enemy attack, we would do what we had to do to protect the wall, protect the base. Well, it was only about 10 or so minutes later that we finally got word from the army who was on the other side of the base that it was actually a controlled explosion by the special forces camp. They just didn't let anybody know before they did it. So it wasn't an attack from the enemy, but it got you shaken up and it got your blood flowing and it got you thinking like, dude, this is it. I didn't wanna come here and go to war, but I'm here and if it happens, I better be ready. It took a few minutes to kinda let your heartbeat calm down and get right back to work. Especially knowing that even though I knew that was a controlled blast, there is still a very real enemy outside that wall that does not like me and would love to see me die. Nehemiah is in that position. There was a, a, an attack that didn't work out, thankfully. But it was an attack nonetheless. And Nehemiah knew that there's an enemy. And even though Nehemiah knows that God fights for his people there's still a little trepidation in getting back to work. But yet, that's what he does. Verse 21. So, we labored at the work. Half of them held the spears from the break of dawn until the stars came out. Nehemiah knew that there was a job that needed to be done. And he made sure that his, his people got back to work. 
The reason that they were there in the first place was to build the wall. Just because of a threat of danger doesn't mean they can abandon their plan. They've got to continue on doing what they came there to do, and that is to build the wall of Jerusalem. And so, after recollecting themselves and getting a plan in place, should anything happen, should an attack come, he says they got back to work. They labored at the work. Church, we have a a task to do as well. I already mentioned the, the Great Commission. And at the end of it, Jesus promises to be with us always, even to the end of the age. But before he promises that, he gives us some work to do. Make disciples of all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Teach them to observe all that Jesus commanded. And then he says, behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Before that promise, Jesus gave Christians work to do. We know there's going to be opposition to that work. We know there is a world full of people that hate the idea of the work of Christ advancing. That hate the idea of God's church growing. Of people coming to faith in Jesus and and serving him, worshiping him. There is a lot of opposition But just like Nehemiah was confident in God's protection, knowing that God would fight for him and for the Jews, you and I can live in light of knowing that as well. That Jesus has promised to be with us always, even to the end of the age. And so even though we know there's opposition to the work that we are trying to do, y'all, we can be confident and get back to work because we know that God is on our side. We know that God is with us. We know that God is is strengthening us to do the work and he's gonna protect us as we do it. He's watching over us. Now, this doesn't mean that there won't be any casualties. It doesn't mean that people won't lose their lives as martyrs. It doesn't mean that there's not gonna be any difficulty. We need to make sure we're clear on that point. We are not preaching a Christianity that if you come to Christ, do his work, that there will be no harm the rest of your life. That's not it. The Bible does not say that anywhere. But we know that no matter what does come, no matter what hardship and what opposition does come to us, God is faithful. God is with us. He will protect us. He will fight for us. And so we can get to work. We can get to this work that God has given us to do. The great commission of making disciples, teaching them what the Father commanded, and baptizing them. But lastly, after we get back to work, we need to recognize that doing the work that God has given to us will require living sacrificially. That's my last point, is living sacrificially. Look at verse 22 and 23. I also said to the people at that time, let every man and his servant pass the night within Jerusalem that they may be a guard for us by night and may labor by day. So neither I nor my brothers nor my servants nor the men of the guard who followed me, none of us took our clothes off. Each kept his weapon at his right hand. Verse 23 is a really fascinating verse. If you have a different translation, it may say something very different at the very end that we... um, None of us took our clothes off and we kept our weapon to the water. There's, uh, there's lots of different translations. It's an interesting verse. But the point is, he's making the point that we're going to be ready at all costs. Whether we're going to shower, whether we're going to get some uh, water to drink, 
we will be ready to fight no matter what. And the point that I want you to see is how Nehemiah is asking these people to live sacrificially. Up to this point, it seems as though he's been allowing the workers to go home and stay in their own homes overnight and then come back and resume the work the next day. He is now asking them, I said to the people at that time, let every man and his servant pass the night within Jerusalem. So now he's asking them, please don't go home at night, stay here. Stay within inside the walls and be security overnight and then when the sun rises, we'll get back to work on the wall. He's asking a lot of these people. But notice that he's not just asking others to do it, but he's also doing it. Verse 23, so neither I nor my brothers nor my servants nor the men of the guard who followed me None of us took our clothes off, meaning we kept our work clothes on. We were ready at a moment's notice. Doing the work of God, completing the work of God requires living sacrificially. If they're going to get the wall done, they're going to have to sacrifice to do that. They're already sacrificing by splitting the workforce in half. They're now half as productive as they were previously because they're having to devote to security. They're guarding by night, laboring by day. And like I was just saying, getting back to work, we are not working on building a wall right now. But you and I have been given the task to make disciples, to complete the great commission, or to work to that end. It takes sacrifice to accomplish that. And we've got to ask ourselves, are we willing to make sacrifices to complete the task that God has given to us? Sometimes this will include sacrificing money. You all already do that anyway. Every time we pass the offering plate, we're putting money, our hard-earned money, in the offering plate to support the work that, that our church does. But there's other ways, too. We've got people who feel called to go overseas. And they need money to be able to do that. Are you willing to give sacrificially of your money in order for them to continue the work of the Great Commission in another country, in another part of the world? What about our time? Are we willing to sacrifice our time to have those conversations with people, to go out of our way and sacrifice what we want to do so that we can do something that's going to benefit the church, that's going to benefit somebody else, that's going to share the gospel with somebody? Are we willing to do that? Time is precious. I know that. I feel that more and more each and every day with children. Time is precious and it's going by so fast. Are we willing to sacrifice some of that for the cause of the gospel, for the, the work of the Great Commission what about putting ourselves in harm's way? There are a lot of places in the world where it's dangerous to be a Christian. There are a lot of people who hate Christians. There are lots of countries that will put you to death if they know that you are a Christian. Who's going to go there and share the gospel? It's going to have to be somebody who's willing to sacrifice themselves, to even put themselves in harm's way. And there are people who are willing to do that. Praise God. Because their confidence is in God, not in the things of this world. Their treasure is not in this world, it's in God. What about career ambitions? Many of us have hopes of climbing the ladder, making a name for ourselves, 
being somebody, being remembered for whatever? Are we willing to sacrifice that for the sake of serving God? What about bucket list items? Things we would like to accomplish in our life. Are we willing to let some of those fall by the wayside so that we can serve God, so that we can do things for him in accomplishing the the task of the Great Commission? See, Nehemiah was a leader who showed his people what it meant to sacrifice. Nehemiah said, me and my servants and all the people with me, we didn't even take our work clothes off. We stayed within Jerusalem We worked by day. We kept our eyes open by night to watch for security. They slept, I'm sure, a little bit here and there because Nehemiah's goal was to get the work done. And you and I have a leader who also showed us what it means to sacrifice. And he's not Nehemiah. He's so much greater than Nehemiah. Flip over to Philippians chapter 2 if you got got that handy. Philippians chapter 2 is a great passage where Paul is explaining what Christ has done for you and for me. Starting in verse 5, he says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus himself is our leader. We look to him. He is the one who gave us the task of fulfilling the Great Commission, going, making disciples, and he himself laid down his own life. He did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself. He took on the form of a servant and even went to death on a cross. If you want to know what it looks like to live sacrificially, look at Jesus. He gave up everything to be flesh like you and me, and even that. He was willing to go to the cross and to lay down his own life for you and for me. If Jesus shows us the ultimate example of humility and living sacrificially, then you and I, as followers of his, ought to walk in his footsteps. We ought to be able to say with Paul that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that awaits us. You see, after Jesus suffered and died on the cross, he was raised. Now he is glorified at the right hand of God the Father forevermore. He is glorified, but he received that glory through suffering. Hebrews says he was made perfect through suffering. The path to glory involves suffering. There is glory that awaits you and me, but there's suffering in the middle. There's suffering that stands in the way and Nehemiah understood it and we need to understand it. If we're gonna complete the task that God has given to us, it's gonna require living sacrificially for him. Knowing that as we do it, we keep our eyes on Jesus and we've got the promises of God knowing that he will never leave us 
nor forsake us. He enables us to do the work that he's asked us to do. He gives us the strength to do it. And the sacrifice of living for him is worth it. It's worth it. Are we going to live sacrificially for him, our king, who showed us the ultimate example of how to sacrifice in laying down his life for us? See, that's the beautiful news of the gospel. We are not asking anybody else to do something that our Savior himself has not done. He came and he laid his life down. And he's asking you and I to do the same. What a wonderful Savior. He saves us. He loves us. He's going to glorify us. But first, we need to be prepared to suffer. We need to be willing to suffer. Willing to sacrifice. Knowing that it is worth it. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. And we thank you for this time of studying the book of Nehemiah. And God, we ask that as we have looked at today and we are reminded that it's important to be prepared should the fight come. God, we know there's enemies. We know there's going to be hardship in this life, but we know that you have promised to be with us. And God, we ask that you'd help us as we seek to live for you. God, help us to live sacrificially. Help us to know that our lives are worth laying down for the sake of being with you. God, help us to be vigilant to complete the task that you've given us, this task of making disciples, teaching them to observe all that Jesus commanded, knowing that you'll be with us always to the end of the age. And God, we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.